The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord almighty, he is the king of glory. Thanks, Jenna. Um, I'm going to invite Adam up now. Already, uh, they're with you, they're for you. We're all with you, for you. Um, Should we just pray for Adam, if we can do that now, before he uh, starts? And uh, Father God, I want to just thank you for Adam. I want to thank you, Lord, for his journey uh, through his life uh, with you. I want to thank you, Lord, that he has such a heart for you. And uh, I just pray right now that you will fill him with your spirit, Mm. that he will just be an an empty vessel, that you will inhabit, you will speak through him this morning, and that we will just be touched by uh, your words through him as we listen to him now. So fill him, Lord, and just help us to hear in your precious Mm. name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, and uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Genuinely lovely to be here this morning. Thank you for the very warm welcome that we feel we've received already this morning. It's been lovely to have the chance to meet uh, a number of you already. A special welcome to a few of my friends who've snuck along to visit uh, just as a way of uh, cheering us on. So thank you uh, for being here as well. Um, In case anybody might have missed the memo uh, or didn't check your email or wasn't paying enough attention to Andy just now, uh, my name is Adam. Um, I've been uh, a pastor in Portsmouth for about 17 years, helping to lead a church there. I'm here with the wonderful Zoe. Um, Andy's stolen my thunder slightly. I was going to say we've got three kids. We do still have three kids, despite what Andy said um, about them being at their grandparents. We have Joshua, who's aged five and a half, uh, Barney, three and a half, and Alfie, who's just nine months. So we have a household that's bursting full of life and energy. Um, And I was going to say, if you thought it was, uh, they must be the most quiet, uh, well-behaved children in the world, uh, the most discreet children in the world, then it's because they're with their grandparents this morning. But they are great kids, um, and we love them very much. Um, You know, so we we just felt it would be really helpful uh, to allow them to have that time with their grandparents. We were really keen to be available uh, this morning to connect uh, after the service. We've had a chance to connect with a few of you already. Uh, but to connect after the service through the Q&A, so please do come and say hello. We'd love to, uh, there's a lot of you, but we would love to chat to as many of you as possible. But this morning, I hope to encourage us um, and also to spur us on with a message that I want you to know was birthed back in the first week of February this year. Um, Zoe and I had felt the Holy Spirit in our journey of prayer prompting us and leading us to come and visit this church for the very first time. Uh, We snuck in at the back. If I look familiar, maybe you spotted me. Um, And it was while I was at that service that God put this fantastic psalm that Jenna's just read wonderfully for us this morning on my heart and started speaking to me through it. And so obviously that's had a little bit of formulation over the last week or so. And this morning I've put a a title upon that that is Knowing Like Never Before. 
I hope that excites us. I hope that stirs something in us this morning. I genuinely feel really excited to be with you this morning. And I want to begin today by jumping on the back of a brilliant illustration that Gordon Curley used last week. I actually snuck in at the back and I was sitting over there, so maybe you spotted me last week. But didn't he do a great job? That was a fantastic message by Gordon last week. And I loved the illustration he used as he held up his can of Coke and he said, listen, the 97% of the world, he dazzled us with amazing statistics, 97% of the world have heard of the brand, 72% of the world have seen the can, and 51% of the world have tasted the product. And he went on to tell us about the slogan they have up in their head offices, think globally, act locally, and brought some brilliant application for the church out of that. Um, and as I was listening to him, I found myself thinking, you know what, I, I don't know if anyone else will remember, but I remember some other advertising slogans that Coca-Cola used. Uh, back from uh, 1969 to 1975, a little bit before my time, um, they used the advertising slogan, it's the real thing. I remember it more from the early 90s, where they did a bit of a rehashed version of that, and they used the phrase, you can't beat the real thing. Does anybody remember that? Some of you are like, I wasn't even born then. That's okay. But that's where I have these endearing memories of Coca-Cola adverts from that generation. And the reason that Coca-Cola started going down this line was that there was this era of intensified competition. There were adverts just trying to outdo each other with all of the bells and the whistles all over the place. There were new products coming to the market in the drinks industry. This was the Pepsi generation, if you like. And so these adverts were Coca-Cola's way of saying, hey, we are not Pepsi. Uh, we are not some knockoff brand, no disrespect to Pepsi. We are not some cheap imitation product. We are the real deal. And these adverts were the way of saying, look, we, we, uh, we're not kind of hyping this up here. Um, we have no gimmicks. We have no frills. We have no hype. We are the real thing, and you cannot beat the real thing. And I found myself thinking as I was listening to Gordon, if we want to know that Coca-Cola is the real thing, if we want to know it's the real deal, who do you want to talk to? I want to suggest this morning, you don't want to talk to the 97% who can tell you what the brand jingle tells you. You don't want to talk to the 72% who can tell you what the shiny can looks like and the color of the writing. You want to talk to the 51% who've tasted the product, don't you? More than that, I want to suggest more than just hearing from them, we want to become part, don't we? Not just of the 97%, not just of the 72%. We want to become part of that 51% who've tasted the product. Because then, when we've tasted the product, we will know like never before. See, I found myself listening to Gordon and processing all of this. I was listening to what he was saying as well. And I found myself wondering, what might those stats look like in the context of the church? This morning, I want to quote the great late evangelist Billy Graham, who said this. I mean, Billy Graham must have seen millions of people give their lives to Jesus. He said this. He said, it could be that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is the poverty of our own experience. 
Whoa, that's a challenging quote, isn't it? Let me read that one more time. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said this. He said, it could be that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is the poverty of our own experience. It's a greatly challenging quote, but in the midst of it, I believe there's a great reminder that our God is a God who wants to be authentically known. He wants to be known in his, in his reality, in his actuality. And there's this reminder that we all, every one of us, have this great invitation to know, to taste and to see for ourselves the goodness of God. That's an encouraging thing, isn't it? We can be encouraged by that this morning. Now maybe this morning as we listen to that quote, we think about those statistics. Maybe this morning some of us would identify most with the 97%. I I don't know us this morning, so I don't know. Maybe we'd identify with the 97%. We feel like we've heard of the brand. There's a song, Good, Good Father, and the, the first line in this song says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. Maybe this morning we feel a bit like that, that we've heard thousands of stories or hundreds of stories or many stories of what other people say that God is like, but somehow it doesn't all feel real. It doesn't all feel genuine. Maybe sometimes we find ourselves grappling with some skepticism about those stories. Maybe this morning we find ourselves identifying most with the, the 72%. We've, we've seen the can. We've, we've seen some things in our lives that have amazed us. And maybe some of those things that we've seen, maybe they've made us feel more confident about our faith, about the things that we believe. But maybe some of those things have made us feel a bit more cautious. We don't quite know what to make of it. We don't have a, a grid of reference for what we have seen. Or maybe this morning we find ourselves identifying most with the 51% who have tasted the product. We feel like we've had our very own taste of Jesus. We've had our very own taste of the goodness of God in our lives. Maybe we feel like we had that refreshing drip on our tongue, or maybe we feel like we had a a full sip from the can. Maybe we feel like we downed the whole can at breakfast this morning and we can still taste it right now. Or maybe we remember the taste from last week or last month or, or last year or from 10, 20 years ago or whenever it was. Or maybe this morning we find ourselves feeling like a a parched tongue that is just thirsting for that fresh, authentic taste of the real thing, of the goodness of God. Listen, wherever we might most identify this morning, praise God. Praise God for everything that we've heard. Praise God for everything that we've seen, everything that we have tasted. Praise God for all of that. And this morning I hope that we will be spurred on I want us to be spurred on. We're just going to look for a moment at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And we are coming to Psalm 24 a little bit later. I'm just building a platform for it. But Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15 through to about verse 23, the Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And he begins saying, hey, listen, I've, I've heard of your faithfulness. I've heard of your love for the people. And I thank God for you. You know, that first Sunday, when Zoe and I just felt prompted to come along here, I said this to the team 
uh, when I spoke to them, I just felt the Holy Spirit impressing on my heart that there are so many faithful, Jesus-loving people in this house, in this church. More than that, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just impressing on me. There are so many here who you have, you have loved and you have served and you have given and you have prayed so faithfully. Some of you over so, so many years. I even felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, there are blessings that have come into this house, into this church as a direct result of some of you unseen prayer warriors who have prayed and prayed and prayed over the years. And he just wants you to be encouraged with that, that he thanks God for that, and I thank God for that, and you should thank God for that too. The Apostle Paul goes on to pray in verse 17. He says this, even though I thank God for all of that, I keep asking. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know him better. What a prayer, right? I mean, he carries on. It's a little bit wordy, so I just want to paraphrase it this morning, what he goes on to pray. Essentially, he's saying, guys, I, I pray that you might more authentically know the hope to which you are called, that you might have a, a greater sense of clarity around the calling and the purpose that he has for your life. I pray that you might more authentically know the reality of your God-given inheritance. That you might have uh, experience of his goodness and his faithfulness in your life. And he says, I pray that you might authentically know his power. That you might have confidence that he is able to do immeasurably and exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine through your life. See, I hear it's like Paul is saying, guys, I am so, so thankful, but I know that I have not arrived. And guys, I know that you have not arrived, that we have not arrived. I know that everything that we see and everything that we know right now, we know in part. We know in part, but Ephesians, there is a day that is coming where we're going to know him in full. We're going to know Jesus in full, even as we are fully known. That's how we will know him. We have not arrived yet. We are not there yet. It's like he's saying, church, I'm so thankful, but I know that right now we are being transformed into his image by the renewing of our mind with ever increasing glory from the Lord who is spirit. It's like right now I know that everything we see, it's like a poor reflection in a mirror. It's like everything, all that we have heard, all that we have seen, all that we have tasted so far, it's just like a drop in the ocean. It's just a, just a glimpse, just a fraction of the true extent of his true glory and his true majesty and his true power and his true goodness and his true faithfulness. And guys, I just, I just want to know him. Don't you just, just want to know him? I just want you to know him. I just want to know him like never before. As we read Psalm 24 earlier, 
I wonder this morning if we could pick up the same heartbeat from David as we read from Paul. It's like I hear in Psalm 24, David saying, I want to ascend the hill of the Lord. That's the desire of my heart. I want to be able to stand in his presence. I want to receive his blessing and his vindication. I want to seek his face because I want to know the king of glory. I want to know the king of glory. This morning, I want us to focus especially on verse 7 and verse 9 that we read earlier because I think in those verses what we see is that David recognizes that in order for that to happen, there are gates and there are doors that need to be lifted up. And to help us this morning to try and grasp something of the significance of what David's writing, I want to try my best to help us understand a little bit of the backdrop against which it's written. There's a lot of it. You could read right through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. I want to try and give us a really brief six-bullet-point overview just to help us contextualize why David is writing this. So are you ready? I said, are you ready? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so firstly, number one, the ark is captured. How many have heard of the ark of the covenant? Good. If you haven't heard of the ark of covenant, it's a box. Uh, I mean, it's a lovely box, uh, overlaid with gold. It's got cherubim with wings hanging over the lid. Uh, It's got the stone tablets of Moses where he wrote the Ten Commandments on it inside, the staff of Aaron, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But it represents the glory and the power and the presence of God where God chose to dwell in the Old Testament. And so there's this moment in history where that ark of the glory and the power of the presence of God is captured by the Philistine army. And there's this cry that arises from Israel that is uh, aptly depicted by Eli's grandson, who is named by his dying mother, Ichabod, meaning the glory of God has departed from Israel. It's the cry that rises up from Israel. Bullet point number two, the Philistines send the ark back. They don't know what to do with it. It is not going well for them. They are not being blessed. Uh, they, you know, there's tumors breaking out all over the place. And they're like, we don't know what to do with this. We've got to get rid of it. They build a new cart. They hitch it to some cows and send it off to see what happens. And it arrives in a place called Beth Shemesh. And at Beth Shemesh, they're thrilled to see the Ark of the Covenant coming back. 70 of them look inside it out of curiosity. And God strikes them down dead. 70 of them. God strikes them down dead. And this cry arises from the people of Beth Shemesh. Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? That's what David echoes in in Psalm 24. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in this holy place? Bullet point number three this morning. The people of Beth Shemesh send the ark away. They don't know what to do with it either. They're scared. And they send it away to the house of a man called Abinadab. And it stays there for 20 years. Bullet point number four, David becomes king of Israel. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 5. We, we know David in scripture to be a man after God's own heart, don't we? And David is just longing for the glory and the power and the presence of God to be with the people of God. And he wants the ark back. Bullet point number five. 
David goes to get the ark. And so he takes 30,000 men as part of his army, and they descend on the house of Abinadab. I'm imagining this as a slightly intimidating moment. Uh, you hear a knock at the door, you open the door, you're like, whoa, hello! <laughs> uh, take whatever you want. You want the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, that's yours. They descend with 30,000 men, and they build this new cart, and they put the Ark of the Covenant on the cart, and they start tra- taking it back uh, towards Jerusalem and Israel. And on the way, this cart hits a little bit of a bump in the road. A man called Uzzah reaches out his hand and he steadies the ark and he touches it and God strikes him down dead. And this cry arises from David. He's angry, we read. He's angry at God. He's, he's afraid of God that day, we read. And this cry arises from David. How can the ark of the glory of God ever come to me? How can it ever come to me? I feel like I can empathize with David in his confusion. I don't know about you. I feel like I can empathize with him in his frustration. I can hear David crying out, God, what is going on? What are you, what are you doing, God? What is all this about? Where are you? Why have you humiliated me in front of my 30,000 men, in front of the nation that you have called me to lead? God, I thought this was your idea. You anointed me as king. I thought this was your idea. I thought you'd put it in my heart to have your glory and your presence with your people. Frankly, it feels a little bit like you've just hung me out to dry here. I want us to notice something. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, in verse 10, right after that, this is what we read. It says, He, David, was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. And instead he took it to the house of a man called Abinadab, uh, sorry, of Obedid and the Gittite. I want us to to notice in this moment, it's such a, a profound moment, such a significant moment, I want us to notice that as a result of David's experiences, Difficult experiences, hard experiences. As a result of those experiences, David closed the gates to the city of David. I'm not sure he ever meant to. I'm not sure he ever intended to. I'm not sure that was ever his plan. But in his anger, in his fear, in his confusion, in his humiliation, he became unwilling. This, this man that we know after God's own heart, he closed the gates to the glory and the power and the presence of God. Now, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. We carry on reading in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 6. We find that three months later, David hears news that God is blessing the socks off of this chap, Obed-Edom, who's got the ark sitting in his living room and he can't quite see his TV or whatever. Everything about his life is getting blessed. His his household is blessed. His family is blessed. His flocks are blessed. It's just uncontainable blessing poured out on this chap with a funny name, Obed-Edom. And as David hears this testimony of the goodness of God, it's like it, it refires something in David's spirit. It refires something of that longing within his heart to have that glory and that power and that presence and that blessing with him and with the people of God. So bullet point number six, David goes to get the ark again. 
And this time he, you know, we read in Chronicles, he seeks the face of God. He inquires of the Lord. And I think he, he receives something of that spirit that Paul prayed about, this fresh wisdom and revelation. He, he comes to understand that God had commanded that this ark would always be carried on poles. He comes to realize that by building a cart, they had imitated the practices of the enemy, of the, the Philistine army. He comes to realize that they'd pursued an easier, more, more comfortable option. He comes to realize that they've lacked reverence and they've acted in disobedience. And so full of this fresh revelation, he goes up again to the house of Obed-Edom to bring the ark back. And they start carrying this ark on poles, heading back towards Jerusalem. And after six steps of carrying the ark, this is the moment where there's this just huge explosion of worship. And they're like, oh God, we're so thankful we're still alive. <laughs> we're still, thank you for gracing us to be able to carry your glory and your power and your presence once again. Thank you. And they slaughter a, a bull and a, a fattened calf as was the practice of extravagant worship in the Old Testament in their gratitude. See, as David writes Psalm 24, he's writing about this moment. He's writing about this moment where the ark of the glory and the power and the presence of God was returning to Israel, was returning to Jerusalem, to the people of God. And in verse 7 and 9, as we, we hear and we've already read David writing, we are reading David's prophetic declaration, lift up you gates. Lift up you gates. Lift up you gates to the city of David. Lift up you gates to the courts of the tabernacle. Lift up you gates to the sanctuary within the tabernacle that the king of glory may come in. Lift up you gates of anger. Lift up you gates of fear, of hurt, of pain, of loss. Lift up you gates of frustration, of disobedience, of confusion, of disappointment. Lift up you gates. Lift up all you gates that became closed through unwillingness. And lift up you ancient doors. Lift up you ancient doors that kept the glory and the power and the presence of God separated from the people of God for over 20 years. Lift up those ancient practices that we imitated. Lift up those ancient ideas that we proliferated. Lift up those ancient thinkings that we tolerated. Lift them up that the King of glory may come in. Be lifted up. Make way for the King of glory to come. Because I tell you what, he is the Lord. And he is strong, isn't he? And he is mighty and he is the real deal and he is the real thing and he is the one that I want to know. Oh, I want to know him like never before. I want to know him like never before. You know, right in the middle of this psalm in verse 6, David writes this. He says, such is the generation of those who seek you, who seek your face. Yes, we need, we need clean hands, we need a pure heart, we need all the rest of it, we need to lift up gates, we need to lift up ancient doors. It speaks of this moment where the ark's returning to Israel, but it speaks forward too. 
Like so much of David's writing, it speaks forward to the temple of Solomon and the ark going into that. It speaks forward to us as the temple of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and us lifting up our gates too. Come on, don't you just want to be that generation? Don't you just want to be from the youngest to the oldest amongst us? Don't you just want to be that generation? Don't you just want more of that spirit of of wisdom and revelation to know him better? And you just want every gate to be lifted up. You just want every door to be lifted up that the king of glory might come in and we might know him like never before. So this morning, I want you to know, I'm not just preaching out of the story of David. I'm preaching out of our journey. I'm preaching out of the story of Adam and Zoe. I'm preaching out of a season where we have been intentionally lifting up our gates. We have been purposefully lifting up the gates of our comfort. We've been purposefully lifting up the gates of our security, of our sense of control in our life. Purposefully lifting up the the gates of our own understanding, of our own fears and apprehensions in order to make room for God to write fresh stories of his goodness here. I don't want to settle for hearing a thousand stories of what someone else tells me that Jesus is like. We've been lifting up these guys. We, we've, we've stepped up, some of, uh, stepped out. Some of you will have read it in the email that came out. We've stepped out of a great boat simply because we felt like we heard Jesus saying, come. We've left a, a great church, a great family, a great job, not knowing what we were going to be stepping into, not knowing where the Spirit would lead us, not knowing what was coming next, how we would live, where our provision would come from, but just daring to trust that God is who he says he is. That he does what he says on the can or on the tin, if you like. Daring to take him at his word and believing that he was going to write greater stories that we might have a more effective life. That where Billy Graham quoted the poverty of experience, that our experience might become enriched, that we might become more fruitful. And you know, along the way, we just, we feel so blessed. Like so, so blessed to have tasted God's goodness and his faithfulness along the journey. Um, and it's an ongoing journey. You know, so blessed to have found God speaking to us at every turn. So blessed to have known God's supernatural peace through times of, uh, you know, massive uncertainty. So blessed to have seen God's abundant provision as he cares for us. And so blessed to have seen some really amazing miracles along that journey too. I haven't got time to tell them this morning, but some of our friends who've been part of those miracles are here uh, with us this morning as well, which is a great encouragement. And yet, in spite of all of that, I know we haven't arrived. I know we, we still see in part, and we know in part, I know it's all just a glimpse. It's all just a glimpse. And I hear the Spirit of God beckoning to his faithful ones. I hear the Spirit of God beckoning to his faithful ones, calling out to us, if you will lift up your gates, if you will lift up the ancient doors, I will open the gates of heaven. I will make your house like the house of Obed-Edom where the blessing poured out is uncontainable. Because he is the Lord and he is strong and he is mighty. And I want to know him like never before. So I want to pray for us this morning. 
Maybe we could just close our eyes for a moment. You know, whether or not this morning we feel aware of particular gates or particular doors that we need to lift up or that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on to ask us to lift up. Maybe that's been happening as I've been talking this morning. But maybe this morning, I just, I, I just want to simply pray. Maybe this morning you just want to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to lift up gates, to lift up doors, to make you aware of them because there's a, there's a stirring in your heart as you hear testimonies of the goodness of God. There's a refiring that you long for. There's a refiring that you feel. And you just want to know him like never before. If, if that's how you feel this morning, I just want to pray for you. And if you're able, why don't you just stand wherever you are so that we can pray together and then the worship team are going to come and lead us. Lord, as we stand, or maybe we sit to make our response this morning, we lift our eyes and we lift our hearts to you, Jesus. And we declare this morning that you are the one that we want to know like never before. You are the desire of our hearts. You are the desire of our souls. God, we want you to enrich our authentic experience of you. We want to be carrying greater testimonies of your goodness and your faithfulness. And so, Lord, this morning, whatever our gates may be, Whatever our doors may be, we give them to you. We lift them up to you. We speak to those gates, even the ones that we don't know of, and we just say, be lifted up. Make way for the King of glory. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to purify our hearts, to clean our hands, and to lead us in ascending the mountain of the Lord. God, we invite you even this morning as we turn our hearts to worship you, to enrich our knowledge of you, to enrich our experience of you. This morning, uh, Lord, just as they carried the poles and there was that explosion of worship, God, may, we, may you lead us, even from today forwards, Lord, would you lead us into a, a time of just deep, deep thankfulness and deep, deep gratitude as we realize that you have graced us once again to know the reality of your power and your hope and your inheritance and your presence with us. Holy Spirit, would you come and work even as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.